Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. Today we have Seth back for SCOTUS Talk. Say hi, Seth. Hey, Rio. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. Thanks for coming back. Uh, SCOTUS Talk, a.k.a. why a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court told Trump to fuck off twice. 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 (laughs) Um, So I'm looking at this tweet right now. There are currently no unruled upon lawsuits brought by Trump or his allies in any court. The only cases remaining in court are appeals of Trump's previous losses. Unless they file new lawsuits, Trump and his allies will remain one to fifty nine, one to fifty nine in post-election litigation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the first thing to point out is that there's they ne- they had no merit to any of these arguments. I mean, the one the one case they won was a very minor issue having to do with a you know, couple hundred um, ballots in a state that Biden won by tens of thousands. So, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's truly brutal, especially since in, in the Supreme Court, three of the justices were appointed by Trump himself. Um, and does have a 6-3 conservative majority. And many of the lower level ju- judges who ruled on these cases were also appointed by Trump and still ruled against him. Uh, so it, it actually boggles the mind to think that after all that, Trump still continues to claim that it was a rigged election and that it's not legitimate. And his supporters continue to believe him. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's absolutely crazy. In order for that to be true, all of these judges appointed by Trump would have to be part of the deep state's conspiracy against Trump. Right. Yeah. I mean, Occam's razor would suggest he just lost, <laughs> you know, get over it. Trump has constantly been saying that this is his legacy, that he's been filling all of these seats. And this is the greatest boon to the GOP that could ever be imagined. And now we're seeing all of a sudden it's all rigged, all of this nonsense, the C- and like the, the followers that I'm seeing on social media immediately flipping with him and saying that, oh, well, Amy Coney Barrett is a deep state plant is I don't quite have the words to describe the absolute insanity <laughs> of what's going on here. Well, it's like religion. It's what it, it's what it is. People, many people have compared it to a cult. It is a cult with a, a leader who is charismatic to some people, apparently. Um, and in, in a religion, it's not about what's true. It's about what appeals to you emotionally, what you choose to believe about yourself and about the world for emotional reasons, right? It's nothing to do with what's actually true. And so if you argue with somebody about religion, you'll no- notice the same thing. You, you, you just prove one thing they said, and they'll just move the goalposts or redefine the terms or whatever, right? In order to maintain their belief. That's just what's going on there. And so that's, it's that simple. What's amazing is that so many people buy into it. You know, apparently, depending on the poll you look at, for a while, it was something like 80% of Republicans believed that the election was stolen and that Joe Biden didn't really win. I think it's down to like 50% now. So that's progress. That's still a lot of people. 50% seriously, you know, but then again, I mean, that's probably about the number, the percent of Republicans who never believed that Obama was an American citizen. What's really hard to wrap my head around is, you know, or a natural born one in any case <laughs> in the past, I've spent time trying to say, look at our military budget. Look, if you just took a slice of that out, you could actually feed the poor. You you know, do anything of these more left leaning ideas. And the common response I would get from any right leaning individual is we have to protect our country. We have to spend this money in the military. What happens? Trump says, oh, we're not going to sign this defense spending bill unless you uh, agree not to change the name of these Confederate uh, homage bases. 
And all of a sudden, all of his supporters say, yeah, down with the defense spending bill. We don't need that anyways. It's it's just the, the way that they are so willing to flip is I mean, it's scary in one <clears throat> sense of the word. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to this. The GOP coalition was made up of basically three parts, three parts. Traditionally, that's the way they look at it. People with a quote, conservative economic policy, by which they mean neoliberal. Uh, People with a conservative foreign policy, by which they mean neoconservative. And um, and then so-called social conservatives, who, in my opinion, have always meant not all of them. Many of them have always been more, I think would be more apt to call them theocratic radicals. And that's because I use the word conservative to refer to somebody who wants to conserve parts of the status quo, right? And so wanting to conserve the social order would be conservative. And in in that sense, um, it applies to me. But what they're wanting to do is to harken back to regress to a time before the Bill of Rights, (laughs) when there was no separation between the church and state. I don't. I, I just don't consider that conservative. Um, and so what happened with Trump is he was able to win the primary by getting those radical theocratic social conservatives to vote for him in the primary. And since it was such a wide wide field, the neoliberals and neoconservatives um, were drowned out. Now, truth be told, it also turns out, and I always kind of suspected this, but Trump's proven it. It also turns out that the percentage of the GOP coalition that was made up of those economic and foreign policy conservatives was always pretty small. Um, And that's just proven by virtue of the fact that just about everybody in the party at the um, congressional level has absolutely betrayed both of those values. And the only thing they, the only thing they're still standing up for is that theocratic radicalism. Um, that's all that's left in the party at this point, which is sad as somebody who is economically, uh, conservative and a foreign policy conservative. Um, it's really sad for me to see that happen. And I think that the, the DNC is just kind of taking over that mantle because all those never Trump conservatives, the Lincoln project guys, Republican voters against Trump's against Trump, Republicans for Biden. These things are crazy. None of that existed before Trump. Like that is that is a really weird phenomenon. Something like 17% of Republicans have left the party since Trump became the nominee. And then an additional 6 to 10% of the ones who remained registered Republicans still ended up voting for Joe Biden. <laughs> so that's almost a quarter of the party that they've lost. And I think it's all those economic and foreign policy conservatives who were like, hang on, I thought we were just pandering to those theocratic loonies so that we could get them to vote for us. I didn't realize that it was going to be their party. I'm out. You know, do you really think that's going to be the case? I mean, let's say specifically in Georgia, I, I want to believe that. But I think that when it comes down to it, I'll, I want to believe that they're going to listen to Trump when he says don't vote in Georgia because it's all rigged <laughs> and everything. But I think when it comes down to it, they're going to show up at the polls. They're- yeah. And I think that's that's that goes back to the religious mindset. I think some per, some percentage of really true hardcore believers the ones who would totally, you know, drink the poison if the great leader asked them to, um, those people probably won't show up unless Trump himself asked them to. Um, but it's hard for him to do that without admitting that the election's working just fine. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, I guess it. if I were him, I could I could say something like, well, it's probably going to be rigged again, but just in case you should vote anyway. 
<laughs> and he can do that and they'll they'll just suck it up with no problem but this is the thing i mean we know this about trump he's a he's a pathological narcissist it really mm-hmm. comes down to him i don't think he gives a damn one way or another how the election goes because he's he's done he's out of it he he has no loyalty to this system of people who have completely bent over backwards for him destroyed any kind of reputation i've seen this lindsey graham tweet going around so many mm-hmm. times in the past week where he says if we vote for trump we will be destroyed and we will deserve it and sure enough lindsey graham turns around he's the biggest demagogue for trump afterwards yeah. trump is going to throw every single one of these people under the bus as soon as mm-hmm. he has a chance mm-hmm. uh, so they've destroyed themselves for him and I, I'm just really hoping because even if 1%, it's that close in Georgia, if 1% doesn't show up, it could change the entire next four years. Well, the scary thing is, <clears throat> if, as long as the party remains the party of Trump um, or Trumpism, even if Trump himself is, isn't running, he says he is going to run in 2024. We'll see. I mean, he's a very old guy. Maybe he won't even be around to run then, um, you know, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not. Um, they can continue to win elections fairly. I think not, which is why they're cheating, right? Let's let's just be really blatant. That's exactly what they're doing here. They're tr- they're they're hoping that some conservative appointed judges somewhere, lower in the courts or higher in the courts, will betray their oath as a judge to stand up for the rule of law and undermine the rule of law and undermine the Constitution, in order to um, you know have Trump declared the victor despite the fact that he lost right and this isn't this isn't just uh people people have said that hillary clinton claimed that trump's presidency was not legitimate i think that's a bit unfair to compare that to what trump is doing here right i mean i think most people would acknowledge it's at least a different degree right because what clinton did is she immediately um acknowledged that he was that he was the president-elect right Mm -hmm. You know, and then over the course of his presidency, she made arguments about how, you know, the Russians had intervened on his behalf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that undermines Trump's credibility and certainly makes him look like a person who's a threat to national security. Right. But that's not the same as saying like it was a rigged election. Right. And that he didn't really win. Right. That's not, you know, we know we now know that the Russians did, in fact, hack into some of our voting systems and attempted to change votes. But we also know that they weren't successful at changing enough votes to make a difference. So Trump really won that election. And at the same time, he was really aided by one of our enemies. Both of those things can be true. And if somebody, you know, um, officially elected or not, is um, at the head of the country and is, you know, cozying up with uh, our enemies for his own personal political gain, uh, that is something that's worth worrying about, whether or not he's the legitimate president. So I don't, I don't believe that Trump's presidency was ever called um, illegitimate in a credible way that that is that is comp- that is comparable to what Trump is apparently doing with Biden. I mean, because he's saying Biden didn't really win. Like he's is in not just he was helped by somebody or you know did like a shady thing with the media here or there. He's saying the votes aren't real. Right. Yeah. And he has no evidence to back it up and to add on. With well, if he did, he would have won some of those darn. He would have he would have won all of those court cases. Like if it was really a rigged election, the Supreme Court would have turned it over. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, add on to add on what you said. The Biden administration. I'm sorry. The um. Obama administration provided the, the transition resources that was necessary for Trump to get into office and start his administration, whatever that was. And we've seen just the, re- the flat out refusal for Trump to do the same. No, and it is, yeah, and like, after a while, eventually it happened against his wishes. <laughs> yeah. It, they held and this it up has for been a long time. In the midst of the worst health crisis that this country has seen in a hundred years, like he's he's kneecapping our ability to actually defend ourselves against threats foreign and domestic, and it seems insane that his follower base is still as strong as it is. And um, just to add on with what we were saying earlier, I saw a clip just yesterday of Nick Fuentes, twenty-two alt-right commentator, banned from YouTube in February, but he's at this million MAGA march and he's starting a chant saying destroy the GOP the camera turns to this entire crowd of people who are all looking at this young kid and they start saying destroy the GOP destroy the GOP so uh Rio you know the last time we spoke you were saying something about hey I'm about to go off into the distance I'm going to return to my party I'm going to um see how I can make changes how I can lead things in my direction there what does it look like to you seeing all of this happening in the past few weeks <laughs> I mean it's it, this is just this is what happens right because if if people are loyal to Trump but not to the party right that this is one of the dangers of populism and this kind of anti-establishment rhetoric it's one of the reasons why I really don't like Bernie Sanders um, because he does the same thing in the Democratic Party that Trump did in the Republican Party. Um, if you if it's a stupid political strategy at a, at a minimum because you need to maintain the trust and the loyalty of your voters in your party. And you can't do that by constantly bad-mouthing the party and saying, the only good thing about the party is me. And if I'm gone, then we all, you know, right? And then, and then, and then it's and then it's doubly stupid to turn around and tell them to not bother to vote. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's crazy. Do um, you think so? Yeah, no, he he it's it's the GOP um, made a pact with the devil. And now it's coming back to bite him in the ass. That's what's going on. Do you think that there can be another, you know, Trump 2.0? I know he's been saying, oh, I'm going to run again in 2024. I don't see that happening. I don't see any part of the GOP being able to harness whatever dark energy Trump has brought to the political spectrum here. I don't see someone filling in his shoes in a unifying. It's going to sound weird, but I don't see that happening. Do you know of anyone? No, I mean, I think that's actually the problem is that there isn't another alternative leader of the party. Um, Since there is going to be an actual primary, there will be an opportunity for other people to step up and try to make the case that they would be a better leader of the party than the Republican Party. I'm sorry, than Trump. Um, And one of the ways they're going to make that case is they're going to say, look, he lost. He lost. It didn't work. Right. He barely won the first time and then he lost. Um, and and we've lost 17 percent of people registered Republicans since he became the head of our party. We need to win those people back, that sort of thing. My concern is if it's another wide field, Trump right now in polls and this is very preliminary. Right. Obviously, it's way too early to, to take this that seriously. But, you know, because it's four years ahead. But right now, if they were to hold the primary now, Trump would get about 50 percent of the vote, which is easily more than enough to win the nomination again. But that's because there's nobody else who's really stepping up and, and attacking Trump and trying to make the case for why they would be an alternative. Um, I would I, I would really love to see uh, maybe Mitt Romney try to do that. 
Um, but there are just so few Republicans left who haven't pandered to Trump um, that it's really hard to see how they would do that. But, you know, like Ted Cruz will probably run. It'll be really funny to see how he will have gone from, you know, Donald Trump is a narcissist who's going to destroy the party to, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to go back to Donald Trump is a narcissist who destroyed the party. I mean, he can flip on a dime, apparently. So turn on a dime. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> you know, anyone who's trying to make the case, oh, well, Trump lost. They're trying to make that case to a, an audience of people who do not fundamentally believe that there is a massive percentage of voters who are going to say probably to their grave that yeah. this was a stolen election. So whenever someone's going to try to make the case to them, oh, we'll look at the loser. Obviously, he wasn't talking about the right things. And even that case falls flat, considering that, the, you know, he had the second largest turnout in history, which is mm -hmm. insane. So, yeah. like, what role do you see the Lincoln Project having to um, coming up with in the post-election cycle? Because obviously they want to try and, and unify the GOP in some way. But how are they supposed to do that? I don't think that's their strategy. Um I, I think that at this point, they have burnt so many bridges um, with the GOP that they know that they aren't really going to be welcome back, um, which is a shame, but that's just the truth. And I, I think that <clears throat> the, the reason that they ran ads that were pro-Biden ads, right, and attack ads on Trump um, is because that was the only way to get Trump out, right? I definitely could see them running anti-Trump ads targeting Republicans in the primary, if he runs again, that would probably happen. But truth be told, he's really popular among the Republican base. And and so any anybody, even just lower level um, down the ticket, like if you're, you want to get the party back on track, you want to have fewer Trump-like people in Congress, but those, those people are going to be primaried um, if they aren't sufficiently pro-Trump right now. <clears throat> so I think that, that Trump needs to kind of be forgotten and ignored a little bit. I don't think that they're going to be able to actively campaign against him, except except for if he does run in a primary, then they will they'll, they'll have to. They'll have no choice. Um, but otherwise, I think that what they need to do is just, you know, continue to pander to Trumpism slightly in the, in the sense of like at least not explicitly denouncing it because you don't want to turn off all of your voters, but mainly move on to other things that you want to do stop talking about the sorts of things Trump talks about, basically go back to cynically manipulating those populists um, rather than actually giving them control over the party, which is what Trump did. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the the people in the party or just endlessly kowtowing to him, what was it specifically the, the Supreme Court case that got slapped down from Texas? How many House GOP members signed on? I think it was 104. <laughs> It was over a hundred. Yeah, it was a lot. And it was uh, well over a dozen other state attorney generals, all Republicans, um, who signed on to it as well. It, it's crazy. It was a, an absolutely meritless um, case. So let, let's talk about the details of these for a second, because yeah, it yeah. is go to stock after all. Um, so the Pennsylvania, there were two suits, right? There's a Pennsylvania suit and the Texas suit. And the Pennsylvania suit was the one that was struck down first. And the Texas suit was struck down very recently, just a, like on Friday night, Friday, later in the day on Friday was when I found out about it anyway. So the, but the Pennsylvania suit, it was brought by people in Pennsylvania who actually had standing to sue. So that is, <laughs> so it had that going for it. Um, whereas the Texas case, 
that Texas didn't have standing to sue. And in fact, that's the reason that the um, that the, the court gave for throwing it out. So my understanding um, of the Texas case was they, they were trying to sue about procedures that were occurring in other states. That's right. Yeah. Which so, is insane. Yeah. Let's talk about the Pennsylvania case first, because okay. I, they're they're kind of similar, but different. Right. So in the case of the, Pen- the Pennsylvania case, their argument was that you know, governors and judges and other bureaucrats changed the rules of the election without consent of the legislature. And they used the pandemic as an excuse to do that. Well, there is actually a law in, on the books in, in, on, um, in, in Pennsylvania that allowed them to do that um, if, it, if there was an emergency. And <laughs> pandemic clearly qualifies, right? Um, but, you know, they still tried to sue at lower courts at the state level, and the, the state Supreme Court threw it out. Um, and, you know, on the grounds that this was perfectly legal, um, what, what they did, <laughs> right. But at least they had standing to sue. And then that went made its way up to the Supreme court. That's more of the traditional process, uh, that by which something normally makes it up to the Supreme court. And then the Supreme court, uh, threw it out, threw it out as well. And I think it's important to note that, um, in the case of the, the Texas case, the argument was that it they, they, they have original jurisdiction it's called in the Supreme court, Right. And so original jurisdiction usually applies when there's an, a disagreement between two states, right? Which so in this case, that is true. It is a disagreement between two states. But it, but what the court determined is that Texas doesn't have any, um, it doesn't have any real, real standing to, to care about how Pennsylvania does its elections. So while jur- original um, jurisdiction did apply, Texas still didn't have the standing to bring the case anyway. And it was also undermined by virtue of the fact that the very Pennsylvania case, for example, had shown that there are avenues to resolve the issue within the state, which is where it belonged. Um, and and in, and in, and in the case of both both lawsuits, so the Texas law argument basically was the same thing. It was like these states, not just Pennsylvania, but like four states: it was uh, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin all allowed these rules to be changed without the consent of the legislature. Never mind the fact that the governor of Texas himself did the same thing, right? <laughs> like they weren't trying to throw out the results of any of the states that Trump won, where they also made changes to the election law and using the same process. Um, and, 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 and notably in, in none of these cases, none of these cases, including the lower level cases, did they ever actually claim that there was any real fraud they didn't, you know, that, that's, I think it's important to point out the difference between what Trump is saying publicly mm. and what his lawyers are saying in court where they can get in legal trouble for lying, right? So, right. I mean, what that means is Trump and his lawyers know that Trump is lying to the public. That's, yes. that's the only conclusion you can get out of that because their arguments are based on these, oh, well, technically they shouldn't have been allowed to change the rules, that sort of thing. They're not actually claiming that there was any real fraud, that the the votes were changed by the Dominion voting machines or anything like that, because there's no evidence for it and because there is a paper trail and it was actually a very secure election. and 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 so they're not they're not claiming it in court. If Trump really believed what he's telling the public, then why are his lawyers not arguing that in court? Yep. And I spent a lot of time on C-SPAN, you know, listening. I ran out of energy just because I, as any citizen should be concerned about how secure are our elections. I gave up after hearing, you know, oh, in Pennsylvania, they're talking about all these big vans leaving out boxes and boxes of of uh, newly, you know, new uh, ballots and everything. You actually listen to the court proceeding and it's 
oh, well, there's a question of were the poll watchers 12 feet or six feet apart? You know, publicly they're claiming, oh, our poll watchers weren't allowed to be in the room. And then the judge will ask how many mm-hmm. poll watchers, Republican poll watchers were present on the day of the count. And the lawyer says, you know, he, he waits for a little and he stumbles a bit and he says it was a non-zero number, your honor. And then she's like, case dismissed. You're, you're lying. They were yeah. there. They were present. It was actually about how far apart the poll watchers were because of the COVID uh, procedures and vaccinations. So it is just so disingenuous for them to be saying and yelling out in public TV. Oh, look at all these these ballots that are coming out of nowhere. And just like you said, they're not actually claiming any of that in court because if they did, they'd be disbarred immediately. Um, yeah, or sanctioned at a, at a minimum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as it is, like some of the cases were thrown out with prejudice, which is pretty bad and pretty damning, you know, I mean, well, and frankly, Trump wasn't attracting the most competent judge or most competent lawyers because any really competent lawyer would look at the case and immediately say, this is a waste of your time and money. This isn't going to win this. You have no case. Right. You know, right. But I, I do think that that is the key point. And and you know, you can, you can argue, you can argue about whether or not we should allow mail-in voting, right? But lots of states have allowed mail-in voting for years and their elections still go on fine. You know, if you want, if you want to, if you, if you want Pennsylvania to to have stricter voting laws, then fight for those in Pennsylvania, right? That's the solution to that. And like it or not, there was a genuine emergency and an elected governor of Pennsylvania has every right to do what he needs to do to protect the safety of, of his citizens. If you don't like any of that, then you need to you, you need to oust that governor and get a new governor. And in, and in some of these states, it's a Republican governor, like in Georgia, you know, <laughs> it's just absolutely bonkers. I mean, the people in charge of running the elections in Georgia were Republicans, you know, mm-hmm. and and the, they certified the, the results. And, you know, I mean, and- so it's just it really does come down to just this it's a cult um it's religious belief they don't want to believe that he lost and so they won't they just they're not going to believe it they're not going to accept it they're not going to accept reality because they are so far gone and today we're on the eve of the electoral college convening and and like officially certifying uh president-elect biden so a lot of people kind of say, well, well, that's the day. That's it. And after that case closed, they don't really have anything to lie on. I know for a fact that it's going to continue up until the day that Biden is inaugurated on the 20th of January. But we're starting to really see a kind of escalation in the streets. I think mm-hmm. last night in D.C., there were four people stabbed um, after a the Million MAGA march or whatever. We, we, we're seeing calls. They, they love to call it things like million when it was like maybe what, a couple thousand or something? A couple thousand. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. that many people. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. D.C. is not like Trump country. <laughs> And I, I think people were coming in from the woods in, into the city, but not that many of them. <laughs> yep, they're they're coming in. You're seeing insane videos of of like these guys wearing American flags as capes. They're going and assaulting people. They're pushing them down. They're proud boys them. in yes. weird modern yellow like um, kilts. Did you see yeah. that? Yes, yeah. some weird stuff. Yeah, I see a lot of that. It is a little strange. And what's what's really, really crazy is you just you look at it and you try to think objectively, how is history going to paint this picture of of these people wearing these flags and, and doing all these things? Not 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 in a flattering way. Not at all. Not at all. And whatever like kind of criticisms you might have about the Black Lives Matter movement, 
the you know people had a lot of criticisms about like the black panthers and and things like mm-hmm. that in history when you look back it's always the civil rights side that has the the kinder light just cast on it in general you have to work above and beyond on your cause to make sure that you, like if you really believe in something you can't have that imagery projected upon you mm-hmm. i don't think they care at all and i'm honestly concerned mm-hmm. that in the coming weeks we're going to see an escalation of violence well, I, they I, were polling. I mean, they were pulling Black Lives Matter um, signs down from churches, from churches, yes, and burning them. Yep, right on the streets. Um, that is a crime, mm-hmm. right? You're stealing property off of off of off of a church and then destroying it, right? I mean, that's just as much of a crime as if you'd thrown a rock through the window of the church. It's what mm-hmm. it is, and so I think that the police, and I said this about. I said this about the left wing riots, right? Right. In both cases, people who protest peacefully should absolutely be allowed to do so. The police should not harass peaceful protesters like many think many did. And that's seriously fucked up. Right. But also at the same time, people who are committing crimes should be wound up and and and, and, and put in jail. That, that's what you need to do. That's just, it's that simple. They shouldn't be letting the cops shouldn't be standing by and watching these people commit a hate crime. It's seriously messed up. It's truly awful. And especially in a in a city like D.C., I would expect a crackdown if it if it continues. I really yeah, would. I heard and some, they, would, they would be justified in doing it just as they were justified in cracking down on the other riots. I heard some reports that the, the line of cops basically just stand by, watch it happen. And the Proud Boys are allowed to go back behind the line. I mean, I heard that in Kenosha mm-hmm. after uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. I heard he basically ran up to the police officers with a full assault rifle around his shoulder. Yeah. If you were black and you tried to do that, you would you'd be toast. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. I mean, there were there were people protesting the ma- mask mandates by bringing weapons and to to like local politicians offices and and shouting at them through the door with guns in their hands i mean absolutely they those people should have all been arrested and i i I think that the the mayor of dc needs to step in if this continues and say like here are this these cops you guys are not doing your jobs do your jobs you I'm, i'm ordering you to you know enforce the law because if if they're 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 clearly not going to do it unless they're told to. So make them do it or fire yeah. them if they don't. You're exactly right. Someone in chat also has a very good point that there are, are very important rules on how you can use the American flag and wearing it on the back uh, of your neck. Yes. Any real patriot knows that, right? Yeah. You see it driving through Trump country. You'll see flags that are being hung sideways and all yep. sorts of different things that you're not supposed to do. It's not supposed to touch the ground. I, I don't know all of the rules, but I know enough to know that there are some. And if I had a flag, I would look, I would look them up and mm-hmm. follow them. Because if you don't do that, that's anti-patriotic. That's yeah. anti-patriotic. It's, it, 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 it's, it's just these people are truly ignorant. They're so, I mean, nowadays ignorance is a choice because again, you have Google, you look it up right now in five minutes. What are the rules for how to hang a flag? Right. And if you want to, you can read the Wikipedia article that'll have the historical explanation for why these rules developed. And then you'll come out of it with a better understanding of our traditions as a nation. And somebody who's really uh, patriotic should want to respect those. So Rio, a question I have for you, do you think that I'm being unrealistic in my concerns for the type of escalation that I see happening. Cause for instance, you don't tell all your followers. Trump's not going to tell all of his followers that everything's rigged. Uh, his, his own spokespeople aren't going to go out and say, boycott the 
the uh, the vote in Georgia because the what they're saying there when they're saying boycott the vote in Georgia they're saying if you want to get things changed it's not going to be through dem- democracy the only alternative at that point is violence yep and that's yeah, the and message it's one of, that it's one preaching. of many things that the populist alt right and the populist far left have in common, you know, how many times have you spoken to somebody on Twitter who says like, Oh, I don't even bother to vote because the whole system is rigged. And you know, our form of democracy isn't a real democracy anyway, and blah, 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 blah. Right. Also, you know, the election was stolen from Bernie Sanders. He was, he should have won, even though like, no, he didn't, <laughs> you know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. It's the same thing. They're spreading kooky conspiracy theories on both ends of the horseshoe. And the that's just what's going on is that it's coming from the top, you know? Oh, There's... well, yeah, exactly. You're right. That is a very important difference. And I absolutely, when as a somebody who really dislikes Bernie Sanders, I have to give him credit there, right? Yeah. He is not going around spreading the conspiracy theory that the election was rigged. He's doing the right thing and endorsing the nominee, et cetera. Trump wouldn't do that. Do you think Trump's going to endorse the nominee if he doesn't win the next primary? He'll say, this was rigged. Don't vote for them. You know, I mean, because he doesn't care about the party. He only cares about himself. And, you know, to be honest, I think it's fine to not be partisan. I mean, I'm not really a a partisan person either. I think that the smartest way to get your your policies through um, our system is to reward both parties for moving in the direction that you want it to go. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how I thought about it when I voted for Joe Biden, because I was simultaneously punishing the GOP for betraying true right wing values through this national socialist populist nightmare. Right. And rewarding the DNC for rejecting their own populist radicals. Right. I mean, you you actually have to go to a socialist like Bernie Sanders to find somebody who shares Donald Trump's protectionist trade policies and isolationist foreign policies. That's that is something until Trump came along. You had to be significantly to the left of the Democratic Party. We're living through a realignment and you can reward both parties and punish both parties accordingly. So I'm not arguing for partisan loyalty per se. But I do think that part of winning is once a party does adopt whatever policy you want, you've got to get enough of those people in office for them to pass it, you know, and and, and you're, you're going to see this happening with a, a lot of the far lefties are going to be really mad that Bernie Sanders isn't going to, you know, get his public um, option health care bill passed. Right. Yeah. They would prefer single payer, but public option would be progress. They're going to be really mad that he doesn't get that passed. But it's going to be their fault, not not Joe Biden's fault, because they didn't elect enough Democrats in the Senate. You know, Mitch McConnell will 100 percent not allow the vote to even happen in the Senate as long as there's a Republican majority. How so is Biden the, supposed to pass legislation if McConnell won't even let the Senate vote on it? Right. Right. So, I mean, I get it. Like if you're if you're a far lefty, you don't agree with Joe Biden. Right. Joe Biden is much closer to me. He's actually to my left. But I'm willing to compromise a little, just like the other side should, too. Right. Mm. But you've got to like, yes, by all means, try to persuade him and move the party in the direction you want it to go. But you also have to vote for one, you know, so don't be blindly partisan. That's stupid. Right. But at, at some point, you got to pick a team and help it win. You know, so to go back to your question about the Lincoln Project, I think that as long as the GOP remains a, a Trump Trumpist party, the Lincoln project is going to continue to uh, not in primaries because in primaries, except, except for the presidential primary if Trump runs, they will definitely be running anti-Trump ads in that case. Uh, And they'll probably back a horse, I would think. Um, But other than that, 
it's not really effective to try to change that in the primary because the base loves Trumpism, right? So what the Lincoln Project is going to do is they're going to find Democrats who are tolerable to them, who frankly might actually be to the right of the Republican on trade and foreign policy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, keep in mind, remember I said there were three parts of the coalition. So the two parts of the coalition that left are the ones who are going to prefer Joe Biden's policies over Donald Trump's, right? So those people might as well be Democrats for now. And we might be living through another another shift where maybe 10 years from now, the GOP has fully become like the, the National Socialist left-wing Labor Party. Um, and the DNC has maybe moved right on economics, um, maybe moderated a little bit on some social issues like, um, like guns and immigration, right? That's a possibility. And if that's that's the case, then all those Lincoln Project people are going to be Democrats, and that's going to make it that much harder for left-wing Democrats to take over that party. So some of those people are going to probably switch over to the Republican Party. Um, So that's interesting. The other, of course, the other option is the the GOP could learn its lesson because Trumpism is losing, 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 losing. Um, If if that happens, uh, then maybe they will recenter on something more like their old coalition, in which case all those Lincoln Project people will go back to the GOP problem, you know, problem solved. Yeah. I don't, I don't currently see that happening, but uh, to not in the short term. I agree. Point, I, you know, there was that, uh, I made a tweet where someone photoshopped Donald Trump's face over a Bernie Sanders tweet that talked about, <laughs> Hey, look at how all these other countries have subsidized with cash to their workers during this pandemic. Uh, all these clearly, you know, socialist types of policies, they put Trump's face on the tweet. It gets a whole bunch of likes, a yep. whole bunch of conservative people saying, hell yeah, he's for the working people. Look at this. Mm-hmm. It, it is literally that close to if he wanted to, he could become the Nationalist Socialist Party of America. And we would see. And, um, well, and in many ways, he is. In many ways, yeah. he is. You know, like, let's talk about how he got so many votes. It was it was a lot of people voted for Trump. A lot of people voted for Biden. A lot more people voted, period. And a much smaller percentage voted for third parties, which means that people were motivated, I think, largely by either loving or hating Donald Trump. <laughs> that was, this, was, this election was a referendum on Trump and he lost. But I think part of the reason he was able, you know, it, it, he, turnout among the white working class was was higher than ever. Right. And I think it's partially because he mailed out all those checks with his name on them. Yep. Right. I mean, yeah. I've spoken to Trump supporters who literally think that Donald Trump sent them money. Yep. And I, I right? also like, see people. No, that was paid for with my tax dollars. You should be thinking me, not Donald Trump. But he, but he, he got to put his name on it as if it was coming from his personal <laughs> checking account. Um, and, and 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 his his supporters ate it up. They they they, they, they love socialism as long as it's only for white people. You know, that's yep. pretty much what it boils down to. It's quite it's quite sad. And that caused a massive delay in them getting the check sent out in the first place. That added in a huge backlog to actually getting physical checks sent out. If you had a direct deposit, it was in there ASAP. But he wanted to have his name on the check because he's yeah. all about branding and everything. Yeah, and, my, and it my wife They're and ha- I got a my wife and I got direct deposits, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we pay our taxes and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we still got this weird, creepy letter oh. from the White House about how. This money was, you know, basically all all thanks to, you know, the great dictator Donald. It's like, you know, Congress doesn't deserve any credit for actually passing it. It's all about him just, you know, signing his name. So which is something dynamic- you can literally train a monkey to do. 
Yeah, literally. And I feel like there should be some law against them using the office in that manner. It's just insane that that was uh, fully agreed. Happened. It, and it as should not have been in, permitted. It was totally, it's absolutely terrible. Terrible. It's terrible. And as someone it is, in the that is, is that is the sort of thing that, that third world dictators do, right? Yep. Everything that he does is out of a dictator's playbook. And he constantly talks about how much he loves the way the dictator is able to run their country without yep. the rule of law. He mm-hmm. wishes that he could be one. And yep. it is kind of a testament to how the United States operates and, and how our institutions have withstood these kinds of attacks. You know, if you try and compare us to a, a nation state like China, mm-hmm. where everything comes down from everything comes from the top down. Just the way that it works is so fundamentally different than, than the United States. If we were any other place than the United States, Trump would have been able to do it. He's just he's so bad at authoritarianism. <laughs> I don't I don't know if if he was a little bit better at it, if he would have succeeded. I think that our culture is just different and, and we have some natural barriers in place to safeguard ourselves from it. Yeah, but I, don't have- I mean, <laughs> the populace really aren't going to like me today, but I don't think they ever do. I mean, we were saved by elites is what happened, right? Because if you if you look at other places where democracies turned into dictatorships, such as Nazi Germany, for example, right? In order for that to happen, you need you need judges, right, to undermine the rule of law and, and on your behalf, right? And that just is not what happened in this case. Even people appointed by Trump in the end did the right thing. If not for that, we absolutely would have lost our democracy. And Trump, that was Trump's goal. And and now um, people immediately around him, and to some extent, even Trump himself is hinting at it on Twitter, um, are, are calling for a military coup. Yeah. And his yeah. supporters certainly are. Oh, the military will step in and save us. From what? From this rigged election that didn't happen and that even Trump's own lawyers didn't even claim happened? Yep. It's absolutely, I mean, the... You cannot overstate that is treason. That is sedition. That is calling for a civil war, right? Yep. I mean, we we should be rounding up these Trump people and trying them for treason. Seriously. On that the point, ones who were saying that on Twitter, like if, I, if on Twitter, I was really mad at Donald Trump for being a traitor, right? And I was to say something on Twitter like, oh, somebody ought to go out and shoot that guy, right? I would get the FBI at my door, Right. Yes. Well, that yeah. should be happening when people are calling for a military coup overthrowing the government, right? Constantly that's 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 they're publicly announcing that they support terrorism, right? Yes. Yes. And calling for succession from the United States. And that's the other dynamic too is that you you've got this and this happens every every election cycle. There's this giant, "Oh, it's time for all the Republicans in California we're going to go off and do our own thing. Texas is going to go off and have its own place." Um what is interesting, though, is that I think we, we are at a point where there are multiple, multiple factions, not only on the left, but also on the right of people who are extremely fed up and are, are trying to succeed in one form or another from the United States. I, I'm very involved in the crypto space or I'm getting more involved in the crypto space. And a lot of people are um, sick and tired of our uh, financial system right now, the way that it's constantly printing money. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are being drawn into, uh, you know, the new gold standard of Bitcoin, and they're trying to create their own financial market, separating away from the nation state of the United States in that manner. It's less political in that sense, but there are multiple factions of people who are so done with the ineptitude, the um, the absolute just lack of action from our mm-hmm. Congress. And right now there are thousands of people in, in 
bread lines and food lines, not bread lines, but, you know, thousands of cars, miles long. It's really sad to see, especially, I mean, a lot of them by absolutely no fault of their own whatsoever, right? There just Mm. aren't jobs to be had in some places. They got laid off from one and they can't find another one, right? In Mm. some places, they're kind of not even allowed to work, or at least for part of the time they weren't. So, yeah, no, it's not it's not good. I'm seeing news articles today that I I foresaw happening as I understood Andrew Yang and all of the things he was talking about. I, I'm seeing news articles today that is basically the future that I envisioned if nothing was done, if UBI wasn't passed. So like it's like we're, yeah. we're past the point of no return right here. And it seems like I don't know. Do you have some predictions for the next couple of months? I, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to make make an educated guess as oh to what you God. think the year 2021 is going to look like. Oh, um, I would say at a bare minimum, we're going to see some more rioting um, and probably some acts of terrorism um, coming from the alt-right. I think you're probably going to see multiple attempts to assassinate Biden once he's in there. I don't think we're going to see a military coup, but I think the fact that people are even calling for it, including some people who are in the military, um, is absolutely terrifying. You know, we are living through a dark period. And I mean, it's not a coincidence that these people fly Confederate flags, which is a symbol of treason, right? They are they right. are traitors. That is what they are. Bottom line. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be pretty bad. I think it's going to be really gross. And I think at a bare minimum, Trump, whether he runs again or not, he's going to, you know, create Trump TV or something along those lines or buy into OAN or something. Like, I think he already owns parts of it or someone in his family doesn't in any case. I'm not sure about that. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, like, you know, he's going he's going to be on television encouraging people to continue to believe that Joe Biden is not a real president, that he was installed, you know, by the ghost of Fidel Castro or whatever bullshit they believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really bad for the country. It's really bad for the country. I mean, like, I think that in order to de-radicalize people, we have to have some compassion and give them a door to come out of the cult. Right. But what I don't think we should do is give them a free pass to stay in the cult without without social consequences. I think it needs to be a combination of, you know, once you see the truth and you see that Trump is a traitor and you regret having supported him, you know, you're welcome back into civil society with open arms because if we don't welcome them back, that's just going to radicalize them further. Right. But what we should not do is pretend that it's okay for them to continue um, going down the traitorous path that they're, that they're on. They need to know that's unacceptable. And, you know, I think that friends and family should tell them that and say, look, you know, I still love you or whatever, but what you are doing right now is treason against the country. You are believing in some really scary, kooky stuff. Um, and, you know, and, until you work that out, I don't really want to be seen with you because you're, you know, kind of an awful person right now. You know, I think that <laughs> a, little, a little compassion and tough love together is what we need to de-radicalize these folks. Some good news that I was reading today, and I don't know, maybe it was sensationalized, was the idea that Parler, or I'm sorry, Parlay, but it's Parler, because they're, they're actual, the people who made Parler. The French word for to speak. I know. Yeah. And now they're like, no, no, no. We always meant for it to be Parler because they don't want to try and patronize uh, or be condescending to mm-hmm. their 
followers. Uh, basically, they're all getting bored on the website. Like it, it shot up in huge amounts of popularity right mm-hmm. around the time of the mm-hmm. election because Twitter was cracking down on some of Trump's crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And so it, it shot up. And what you're what they're finding over there is that they're getting bored because they don't have anyone to argue with because it's just did this you gigantic see that Milo Yiannopoulos was having a mental breakdown on there? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was saying like, "Oh, these these uh, these Trump justices were a total waste of time. We supported this buffoon, this clown, for no reason because we didn't even get justices that are going to do the right thing." By which he means, you know, to undermine democracy itself. The, that's the ironic thing is they did do the right thing, and Trumpists that speaks to their character are upset that they did the right thing, right? Yeah. But yeah, he was saying like, I'm down with the GOP, burn it to the ground. I'm going to devote my life to destroying this party. You know, well, that's what you get when you play with fire. I I saw a uh, parlor post. It was a a picture of Amy Coney Barrett and it was like a meme caption above and below her. And it said, uh, worthless B-I-T-C-H. I'm going to avoid the the language here. And then the bottom text said, uh, inward lover, just the nastiest toxicity it's the moment that that uh, Supreme Court ruling came through it they really showed their true colors uh it, it was disturbing to me to see and, and yeah that is who they are and that is and they need to be told like you're not accepted in society you're a pariah you are a yes, pariah and right. if you associate with these people you are a pariah well and frankly that's that's what that's that is just what is called for right you I mean you, you, I don't, I don't think we should have legislation that outlaws being a Nazi like they do in Germany. I think that that is a bridge too far. I do believe in, in freedom of speech, but part of freedom of speech is that it goes both ways. You make your deplorable views public, and people have every right to hold that, hold you accountable for that in their lives. You know, like you, you are not entitled to a job. You are not entitled to, you know, a spouse. You are not entitled to access to your best friend. You're not entitled to access to your parents, you know, like good people need to. And like I said, I don't think we should radicalize them further. Right. So I think we have to make sure that when we communicate this, we are making them feel guilty, not shameful. Right. Because shame means like I feel like I'm a bad person, whereas guilt is I'm I'm doing something wrong, right? And so right. what's more effective, and I, I even said bad person, that's probably, you know, not actually the right approach. It, it'd be more effective to say something like, um, you know, you're a better person than this. This is beneath you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, I do think that we need to make it clear that the path they're on is 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 toxic. Honestly, I think a lot of these people will de-radicalize themselves just because they didn't succeed. You know, I think that over time they will get demoralized. They'll realize it didn't work out. They'll, they'll probably, a lot of them, Milo Yiannopoulos already is already blaming Trump for not winning, right? He's mad at daddy for not getting him the Ferrari or whatever. Um, and so that they're going to start to say, gosh, you know, we put everything behind this guy. Milo said that, you know, I, 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 I threw my whole career behind him. You know, I, 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 I lost, I lost my social capital and, and I'm no longer a respected person because of him. And here we are. We still didn't get anything out of it. Right. Mm. And so what's going to happen is they're going to get demoralized. So they're going to get mad at Trump himself. And that's a very healthy thing. But it's also, I think, important to put it into perspective. If Trump had succeeded at this coup, um, they would be celebrating. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, that says something about who they are. Like this not everybody, not all of our fellow Americans um, are good people. Yeah. You know? But yeah. we, but they can hopefully some, most of them have it within them. You can speak to their better side. Hopefully they Trump's loss gives us the opportunity to try to, to persuade these people to be their better selves. You brought up an interesting uh, place to, bring this point in really quick. I had someone in chat earlier say, can you guys talk about how Trump in 2016 ran on a popular ran on populist issues like bringing back factory jobs and mm-hmm. infrastructure, but as president enacted Paul Ryan's agenda. Um, mm-hmm. Like you were bringing up, I heard Nick Fuentes before I realized just how ac- absolutely insane this guy is constantly deriding Trump for failing to do the wall for failing to yep. bring in this white, which I think is fair. He truly understood. Yeah. I mean, especially because in this case, the GOP had control of Congress and the Senate for two years for the first two years of Trump's presidency. And they didn't do the wall. They were really pissed for a certain amount of time. And I think that they got a little bit more slack to, to say, Oh, well now it's uh, the, the democratic house and everything. Mm-hmm. But but now that that same person is turning around and saying we have to destroy the GOP because they didn't support Trump in his coup. Yeah. So it, it, it really is kind of bizarre to me that these people saw him fail fundamentally to even do the populist things that they wanted from him to do when he had the opportunity to do it. And yet still they're they're following along in this well, manner. I mean, in all fairness, there's only so much that Trump can do. Like I said about about Biden. If if uh, the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, then there's not a lot he can do. Um, but the things that he can do, this is what makes me so happy. The things that Biden can do are the things that I actually want him to do. So he can get us out of those unilateral trade wars, which were and are an example of Trump actually following th- following through on his populist policies. Trade wars are stupid. Doing it unilaterally is extra stupid. If you really want to force China to play by the rules of international trade, you need to get all of the liberal democracies of the world, all the capitalist countries of the world together, and collectively cut China out. Even then, it would be hard because China can go trade with Russia and other, you know, North Korea and other bad actors anyway, right? Um, That's, it's part of, one of the characteristics of populism is that people think that our problems are easy to solve. When they're, they're just not, you know, and they're, they're attracted to simplistic black and white like um, ways of thinking. And, and it's also important to point out Trump wasn't just having a trade war with China. He was having a trade war with like Canada, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so again, he actually really was following through on that Bernie Sanders-esque far left um, protectionist trade policy. It just happens, you know, I mean, I'm on the right, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt if you don't if you don't share my worldview. But from where I'm coming, like I don't think that left-wing policies actually are good ideas. I don't think they work in practice. I think we have lots of examples of failed states to prove it. Um, and, you know, as we all know, because we're part of the Yang Gang, most of those jobs are being lost to automation anyway. And right. frankly, if you try to force them to all come back, and, and you know, I'm, I'm pointing out, Trump really did follow through on that because that is something the president had the power to do. He had to, he had to, he had to um, find really shady workarounds, like claiming that trade with Canada was a threat to national security in order to do it, which is a big fuck you to Canada and not claiming true. that China was paying t- paying tariffs. <laughs> well, he thinks China. Like, um, let's be clear. American businesses pay tariffs yeah. on imports from China. Those costs get passed on to the consumer, right? 
Um, but the idea being you, you want to try to force those companies to make everything themselves in the country in order to avoid the tariffs. But in practice, it's just way more effective if you're a business that's that's manufacturing televisions. You want you you know you're even if it's even if it's being put together in the United States, a lot of the parts are going to come from other companies, not all of which are in the U.S. You know because some parts of the world are better at making certain kinds of things, and like it or not, um, we just live in a modern world now. It's a global yep. world. It's a small world. We're so connected. We can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's. No, no matter how much you might want it to go back to 1950, it's just not possible, right? So, yep. but even if you even if you have all those tariffs, well, we, we've had them for you know years now, and yeah, a few a few manufacturing jobs came back, but most of the time, what happens is they just automate, right? Because the only reason they were outsourcing to China is because it's cheaper to pay a China a person in China than it is to set up robots in the U.S. But robots in the U.S. are still a hell of a lot cheaper than paying a living wage to all of these American workers, right? So automation is responsible for 80, 90 percent of those job losses. Um, and, and those trade wars are just taxes on American businesses and, um, and on American consumers. And unlike Yang's freedom dividend, we aren't getting the benefit of those taxes. Right. But unfortunately, everything that you're saying right now, I mean – this is making me feel that uh, even if Biden comes and reverses that, it's it's not going to be anything tangible. And and I, we're living in this post-truth era. We, we've really reached an, an Aureli, Orwellian foothold in history right now where no one can agree mm-hmm. on the state of reality within the, the world. And I, I, I yeah, feel and it's like a the- problem. It's a problem on the far left as well as the alt right. And mm-hmm. actually, it's a problem everywhere on the political spectrum. There are a lot of self-described centrists who also um, are getting um, misinformation. But it, I have noticed I, that it is mostly a problem on the on the extremes. The way I see it, we will we, we're not going to be able to progress unless there's something that can be done that can create a uh, a shared understanding of the world amongst people across far distances. Um, my personal thought is that the only thing that we can do is a universal basic income. That's something that no one can argue against. It's something 80, almost 80% of the country agrees. We need checks in American hands. You know, it's so bizarre. You, you brought up, hey, we're a globalist world. There's just no getting around that truth. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately is I don't really recognize myself as a Tennessean or even a citizen of the United States of America. I'm I'm more of a citizen of the internet than I am culturally a <laughs> well, southern. These days it's the only place we can hang out. <laughs> it is the only yeah, especially during a pandemic which and it could be accelerating adoption and everything, but I mm-hmm. am able to have conversations with people of different nationalities. I don't hear their right. accents. I I am fundamentally someone who culturally associates myself more with ones and zeros, digital subcultures. I you know, I I'm I'm able to parse the lingo of of these abbreviated emojis and um LOLs and LMAOs and all of these different terminologies, really it is fundamentally a nation state within the internet that is forming and growing and and bypassing a lot of everything that human history has mm-hmm. has up to this point kind of become knowledgeable with. There, there, there's a growing group of people who believe that uh, an alternative is forming and uh, 
this this just brings me back to my my question about succession is is oh, so many people are fed up right now and if nothing <laughs> happens in the next four years to solve some of these problems we're, we're going to see some really crazy historical actions happen yeah and maybe just, people people have been talking about secession i mean there's a there's a um a california nationalist party um that wants california to secede um which would make a heck of a lot more sense than most of trump countries seceding I think Texas would probably be all right on its own, but most most of Trump country is very poor, um, and most of them actually take more in federal benefits than they contribute in federal taxes. Um, they're more like um, medieval, like feudal societies than they are like modern capitalist societies. Um, by which I mean, you have a handful of very, very, very rich people, um, um, and then you know the great unwashed masses of people who are uneducated and uh, and really, really poor. Um, and they're getting money from California and New York and that's keeping them afloat. So if they were to leave, I do, by the way, I don't think this is likely at all. Uh, but if they were to leave, um, you know, frankly, it would be kind of like a burden off of the shoulders of the, um, more successful states because those states are just a drain on our economy with Texas as a, as a, as a notable exception. And I guess Florida, you know, Florida would probably be fine too. But yeah, even yeah. even Texas and Florida are not, you know, they're not as wealthy as like California. California would be the the eighth richest country in the world by itself. It's really crazy to think that at a certain point, I mean, one Wyoming <clears throat> is worth like a thousand Californians. And yeah. if anyone should want to succeed, it should be Silicon Valley and saying, well, we're not going to be putting up with Mitch McConnell. Uh, someone who's got 18 percent approval rating. How the mm-hmm. hell did he get re reelected? It's. It, we we live in a in a, in a world that's just so deeply divided. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm partisan gerrymandering is part of it. Yeah, I mean there are all kinds of of democratic reforms um, that Yang has proposed um, that would be great, and some of which that the Democratic Party has already adopted as official policy. Hey, but yeah, you guys, really you know, vote in Georgia <laughs> for the Democrat. Okay, if you don't do that. Biden isn't going to be able to do much, right? He'll be able to fix the stuff that I'm worried about. He'll be able to end Trump's trade war. He'll be able to get us back into the Paris Climate Accord. He'll be able to renegotiate nuclear deals with Iran and North Korea. Um, he'll 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 you know be more. He'll return to a uh, a neoconservative foreign policy that has that the bipartisan establishment has supported since World War II, and which I think is a good thing. He can do all that without Congress. The stuff that the left wants him to do. He absolutely needs Congress for that. And no matter how much they might want Biden to abuse executive orders in order, you know, on at, at some point, first of all, Biden's not going to do that because he is much more conservative than Trump in that respect. He actually respects our democratic institutions, unlike Donald Trump. Um, but secondly, even if he tried it there, the courts are going to strike it down at some point, right? There are, li- there are real limits on what he can do with an executive order. I think he absolutely should you know, uh, get DACA going again. That's a no brainer because the courts already ruled that that was okay anyway. Um, but you know, he can't, he can't create money out of thin air, um, just through an executive order to give everybody a UBI. He can't, um, you know, other than tweaking around the edges of the healthcare system using existing law like Medicare and so forth, there's very little that he can do without Congress. So it's up to us to give him and by the way, even having a majority 
of Democrats still doesn't guarantee that we're going to get anything because you're still going to have the conservative Democrats versus the progressive Democrats arguing about stuff. And if the progressives, um, you know, make the perfect the enemy of the good, even with a Democratic majority, they're probably not going to be able to pass anything. What is up with that? The, the, the GOP does not have to deal with that issue. Oh, boy. I mean, um, <laughs> the GOP is just such a mess, you know, like the they are clearly really good at falling in line. Um, you know, they have groupthink. Ironically, um, the, the supposedly right wing party in this country is the one that thinks much more like in a much more of a collectivist conformist manner. Um, whereas uh, the conservative tradition that I I um, espouse has more to do with individualism. And that's where like the small government tradition comes from. Um, and it's it, it's it is neoliberal and neoconservative and frankly, just classically liberal is what my form of conservatism is, whereas Trump's is some kind of weird theocratic national socialist, you know, Nazi bullshit. It's scary as hell. Mm, it is. It is. I just, it, it really does astound me because you, you're the second person I've heard say that recently that um, the Democratic Party would run into the issue of, of conservative Democrats voting against policies going forward that a majority of Americans want. Well, it, it, yeah, especially since like a lot of, a lot of former Republicans are Democrats now, including vo voters like myself. So they're just going to be contending with that. That's reality. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Um, what do you think about the news that a Andrew Yang's thinking of making a run for mayor of New York City? <laughs> I mean, I think that'd be great. I, I, uh, I early polls show that he would he he would have a real shot of it. I think it's much more realistic than him, you know, be becoming president with absolutely no political experience. Um, I think uh, running for, you know, Congress or the Senate would be even better, actually, because it turns out that mayors of New York don't tend to do very well. But maybe maybe this combination of Andrew Yang and being a mayor, you know, most of the mayors of New York who have run um, have not had a lot of the qualities that that we like about Yang. They weren't as charismatic. Um, they were perceived as as very right wing um, within the context of the Democratic Party. Um, you know, like Bloomberg, for example, like that's, you know, that he, he didn't have a prayer. So maybe as a mayor, Yang would, one of, one of the things he has going for him is that his approval is really high. It's like higher than it, than anybody else in the, and, and, and the democratic party, I think actually, I think his like actual approval is, is through the roof. Um, although that I'm sure depends on which poll you're looking at. And I might have just noticed that particular one because I'm pro Yang, but you know, however you look at it, his approval is high. Um, mm -hmm. but people, when they were asked in the primary, why they didn't vote for him, they said, I really like him. I think he'd great, be great for secretary of the treasury or whatever. I think he should totally run for the Senate or something. Right. But I just feel like he's not, he doesn't have enough experience in government to be president, which frankly is a perfectly valid criticism. Right. I mean, we just had a guy with no government experience in the White House, and we saw how well that worked out. Right. Now, of course, Yang would be way better than Trump. We know that, but I also don't blame people for holding that against him, frankly. It's a perfectly valid reason not to support him. So now if he goes back in there, he still has high approval rating, and he now has a much better relationship with the media, right? Even though a lot of Yang Yang got mad at him for selling out and going on CNN, that was dumb. Of course, that's a good thing for Yang to do because it's he's, he's building a positive relationship with the media, so he'll get better coverage next time. That's good, you guys, <laughs> right? Um, and if he, if he, you know, if he runs for mayor, that's not selling out either. That is preparing himself for a run for president. 
unfortunately, and I haven't really made a huge stink about this on my Twitter account because I don't want to disappoint anyone, but uh, I don't. I, I think he has much more to lose in this scenario than to gain, even in the, the sense of experience, because most of his policy proposals require federal action. Um, yeah. A universal basic income, that's not going to be possible. He's not going to, you know, if he tries to levy a 10% tax in New York City, that is only on New York City, along with all of the other taxes that they already have to deal with, um, there'll be massive backlash. He won't be able to move forward with any of the big proposals that he has, maybe police reform. I don't maybe. know if that's necessarily true. I mean, like, I, I think it's possible to get a um, to get a, a UBI at the city level. I think it certainly is possible. But... I don't think that should be his reason for running. I think he like also, frankly, he doesn't even have to be president in order to get these things done either for that mm-hmm. matter. Right. Yeah. He needs to stay in the public eye to continue to influence the conversation around policy, to continue to tell more people about UBI um, and to keep supporting, endorsing um, and, uh, you know, um, backing <laughs> um, people who support UBI uh, for other other positions in Congress and so forth. I mean, like he he could help us get a UBI without ever being president. Yes, yeah, that, that is true. That is true. I mean, and this is going to sound crazy, but uh, New York City is exactly the type of place where a thousand dollars would not go very far. Um, if you don't have that interstate mobility increase of people having the the option to take their thousand dollars to where it's going to. Uh, be more of a boon, then you actually might wind up in a situation where that's really funneled up into the the rent seekers of New York City. I'm sure that there would be some improvement to to workers' health, but yeah, he. Uh, I, I just think that if the, people might have a, the wrong idea about what Andrew Yang would be able to accomplish as the mayor of New York City, and it's going to be so easy for the media to paint him in a negative light. light like Cuomo, it would be a lot easier for people, uh, you know, right-leaning news organizations to deride him as the the mayor of a blue city, blue state. That's true, but uh, he'll be running as a Democrat, um, so that's not necessarily a problem. I think it's, I think, especially because we've been having all these conversations about populism and how, like, I'm an economic conservative and so forth. I think it's it's always good to remind people why somebody like me would would support Yang's freedom dividend um, and. I think understanding why people like me support it will actually help get it passed because it means that you're going to get some of those conservative Democrats. You're going to even get some Republicans. You know, Mm. the reason that McConnell doesn't want to let something go up for a vote is because he knows that the Democrats might be able, especially a president like Biden, right, who has a great working relationship across the aisle. He's very respected um, by Republicans. And I'm not one of those who thinks that that is a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because if it actually goes up for a vote, Biden only needs to persuade, um, you know, one or two or three Republicans to vote for the bill. And some of those Republicans will vote for that bill. Um, You know, there's they're (laughs) working across the aisle is not a bad thing. You know, it drives me crazy when people people say, uh, you know, nothing gets done in Washington. Okay, well, part of the reason it's not getting done is because the extreme bases of both parties are punishing their um their representatives every time they try to work with the other side but in a democracy to get things done you have to work with the other side sometimes you know um so the reason it's so important to get mcconnell out of that um position as uh um the majority leader is you've you've got to get like you've got to get um you gotta get like just let people vote on it right if 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 there if there's a vote and you lose two or three two or three progressive Democrats, but you get two or three Republicans, right? Moderate Republicans. 
then you can still pass your bill, right? Yeah. So yeah. you um, and it might not have everything that the far left wants, but the far left is never going to get what they want because there just aren't enough people in the Democratic Party in Congress who support those things. You know, like that's that that's part of the reason why. Again, I give I give Bernie Sanders lots of credit for lots of things. Like for example, when it came out that Russia was helping him during the primary, he did the opposite of what Trump did, and he said. You know, I denounce this. I don't want their support. Um, you know, their interference in our election is uh, an attack upon our democracy. And um, if I'm president, I will punish them for that. You know, that is a mm. good thing to say. And that makes him a better person and frankly, more conservative than Trump in the sense that he's actually standing up for, you know, um, good aspects of the status quo, like we're a democracy, you know, a democratic right. republic, of course, right, with mm. a representative um, representative democracy. It's a form of democracy. He was standing up for that. That's good. So why would somebody like me support UBI? Well, because it's a compromise, to be honest, like that's, that's really why. Okay. And because I do recognize that people who are as right-wing as I am are a minority. We're not even a majority of the Republican party, as you are seeing <laughs> play out, right. With the rise of, uh, the alt-right. And I like to point out that if they were really right-wing, you wouldn't need to put alternative in front of it. Um, you know, so I'm a minority. I have to work with the other side. I would prefer my default position would be to do away with the welfare state and um, and also do away with income taxes. Um, but that's not going to happen. Right. I'm a realist. He recognizes that's not going to happen because even a majority of Republicans don't want that. Right. So it's just, you know, there, there are libertarian people who have this this this. Um, who are deluded, who think that there's that, that, you know, all they have to do is get in a few more arguments on Twitter and our perfect, um, you know, a narco capitalist paradise will manifest itself. No, <laughs> it's never going to happen. It is that is as deluded as the people who think we're going to turn into the Soviet Union because because Bernie Sanders became president. It's not going to happen. Right. So I have to compromise. And I like UBI as a compromise because what is it to do? Well, first of all, it doesn't stack on welfare. So it gets people off welfare. That's what it does. They can stay on it. They're not being forced off. Right. But as our current system exists, one of the reasons why I don't like our tax and spend nanny state is it traps people on welfare. It mm. punishes them for succeeding. If they get a job or they start making money with an Etsy business or whatever, they could lose that that stuff. What UBI does is it says, OK, yeah, you're going to lose that, but you can keep this. And this, unlike your welfare, this will actually stack on any other money you make. So instead of disincentivizing people to succeed, we're now incentivizing them to succeed. Right. It is a compassionate compromise um that will get people off welfare so that's that's actually as a right winger i want that but that is an important note i absolutely will not vote for a bill that does stack on welfare and that's why okay like it or not you don't have to agree with me but i'm just saying there are more people like me in the democratic party than people who want you know to destroy capitalism or whatever right it's not gonna happen all right now secondly um I like the fact that it does. it's not means tested, which means it acts as de facto tax relief for the middle class, right? So I'm not going to get the big tax cut that I want. But in practice, if I'm getting a middle class couple an extra you know, $24,000 a year back from their taxes, you know, for a lot of middle class families, that's like cutting their taxes in half, right? That's crazy. That, that would be the biggest middle class tax cut in history or at least in modern history, that's amazing, right? Because usually tax cuts only benefit super rich people. I actually want it to benefit 
you know, the middle class because they need the money more, frankly, right? And because the the system we have now, rich people pay more than the middle class, or rich people pay less as a percent of their income than the middle class. That's really stupid, right? So right. this is a way of fixing that. Um, and then, um, so yeah, don't, if you try to stack it on welfare or if you try to means test it, you know, then you're going to lose people like me. And that I know that sounds confusing because a lot of people assume like, well, the means testing happens because it's supposedly the conservatives who want to means test it. Um, I don't think that's true. I think that whether Yang becomes president or not, somebody needs to go in and, and talk to Nancy Pelosi and Paul Ryan and everybody <laughs> in Congress and just sell them on this idea one at a time and say, look, this is a tax. This is de facto tax relief for your constituents. And actually, since it doesn't stack on welfare, it's actually welfare reform that will encourage people and incentivize people to actually get out and participate in the market and get and get work or start. A I mean, you would agree that there are some forms of welfare that it should stack with, just not the, the cash like welfare, right? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm willing to negotiate on those details, but yeah, I definitely think that if you allow it to stack on welfare in general, what it's going to do is you're still, you're no longer getting them off of that welfare cliff, right? Cause like, let's say, let's say, you know, uh, food stamps and, um, you know, um, discounted housing or whatever, right. You want it to stack on that. Well, okay. I can understand why from the compassion side, you would want that. But also what you're doing is you're still you're still uh, maintaining a disincentive structure where that person is not going to want to go get a job. So, yeah, they'll have a little more money in their pocket, which is a good thing. But if they get a job or start a business, then they're going to lose their house. So they're going to lose their food stamps. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think that that it is a much better incentive structure to replace those things with a UBI and Yang's approach of allowing people to choose rather than forcing people off of programs, I think is the the most um, compassionate way of doing that. Right. Right. Okay. Hmm. So uh, do you feel overall here at the end of the podcast, are, are, are you feeling optimistic about the future? How are you feeling good or bad? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Um, I'm much more optimistic than I would be if Trump was getting reelected. Um, mm. But I'm still scared, you know, because there is still a lot of anti-establishment populist energy out there. Um, and frankly, I think it's rather revealing that a lot of, you know, people on the far left spend more time attacking Joe Biden for his cabinet picks than they do attacking Donald Trump for literally attempting to destroy our democracy. Right. I think that maybe yeah. their priorities are a little screwed up. So I'm worried about the fact that there are a lot of people who are still radicalized and still unreasonable. Um, and I do think that, you know, one of the reasons we need something like a UBI is to help people, you know, feel invested in and committed to and believing in our system again and feeling included. Right. It's it's an important it's a part of de-radicalizing them, but it's not going to do it by itself. You know, we all we, we need we also need to frankly just frank. I mean, actually, we're probably frankly, we're not going to get a UBI until we work out some of our differences. We need to stop demonizing one another. We need to stop, um, you know, believing in kooky conspiracy theories, whether they're far left or all right ones or the occasional centrist one. We need to stop believing in that stuff. We need to, we need to return to believing in reality because then if we're all in a shared reality where we have, we, we, we're getting our sources of information from credible sources, not just from partisan ones or ideological ones, you know, then we have a chance to work together to pass this UBI, you know, yeah. I don't, I, I just, I, 
it would probably help to de-radicalize, but I think, sadly, I think the de-radicalization might actually have to come first because without that, you know, you're just going to have more partisan warfare in Congress and nothing will get done. That's a chicken and an egg scenario to me. I don't see the radicalization ever going away without... Not completely, not completely, but, you know, maybe just enough. Maybe just enough that we can, you know, get a Democratic majority in there, pass this bill, right? It could also work with the right kind of Republican majority, but the, the, you know, nobody in the Republican Party is is talking about that right now. I, I would love, you know, if somebody was to run on, you know, a, I have my own more right-wing version of Andrew Yang's Freedom Dividend that you can see on movingforwardpod.com. Go to movingforwardpod.com, click on policy, and you'll see that I have taken Andrew Yang's approach of UBI and I've applied it to things like healthcare and education as well. And that is actually a policy platform that a, um, a new kind of GOP could back um, so if I saw somebody running on something like that in the GOP primary, I would register as a Republican, I'd vote for them. Um, and if we could get both parties, you know, if the debate was about what kind of UBR are we going to have rather than whether or not to have one, that would be progress. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, op- I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I, I truly think that the greatest threat facing not just our country, but civilization in general right now is radicalized groups who are hostile to liberal democracy. Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, I'm a bit more pessimistic just because I, I do see these these food lines miles long, thousands it's of people. In it. Well, that that is a that is a breeding ga- ground for radicalism. Yeah. People are much more prone to become radical during times of action like this. You know, the last time we saw poverty like this was at the Great Depression, and, and FDR had to yeah. come in and enact a really progressive, borderline socialist policies mm-hmm. um, in order to quell the kind of discontent that was brewing. Oh yeah. And- no, a lot of people, do, a, lo- a lot of, a lot of right wingers um, don't give FDR credit for the fact that he basically saved, sa- saved capitalism. capitalism. That's what he yeah. did. You know, I mean, like, again, I would, that would not be my default position. You know, I think social security is a kind of a, it's problematic. That's putting it lightly. I think it's. I think I either I kind of hate social security because, for one thing, um, payroll taxes are the most regressive kind of tax that there is. It's literally working poor people pay more than rich people in payroll taxes as a percent of their income. That's really su- super fucked up, right? And as a funding mechanism, it's deeply flawed given the nature of automation coming down the road. Exactly. It's going to run out of money eventually just by the nature of how it's Although that, that you can't really blame FDR for that because that wasn't right. – like, you know, the, the world has changed a lot since then. But right. like I said, I mean this was a situation where liberals had to compromise with socialists to create these social liberal or social democratic – you know, center left compromises that kind of define our mixed economy, not just in the US, but all over the civilized world. There was a period where we were trying actual far left communism, and we were also simultaneously trying out this social liberal compromise. And every place that tried far left communism became a hellhole. Um, and every place that did the social liberal compromise is actually done not and not just comparatively well, but the 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 most peaceful, prosperous societies ever in the human race um, happened as a consequence of that. Of course, there's still lots of room for improvement and there's no guarantee that it'll last forever. Um, But yeah, I mean, that was a situation where we had to compromise and democracy functioned how it's supposed to. 
Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, I mean, hopefully Biden's administration can come with something like that. I think if you see criticism from the left about his cabinet choices and things of that nature, it's because they're concerned um, that he won't do what is necessary within his power. But uh, again, we both agree that that's premature discussion up until we see what happens in Georgia. So, hey, if you're listening to this right now, <laughs> yeah, whatever I, you can. Yeah. Frankly, like it doesn't even matter what Joe Biden wants to do. If, yeah. if, if Mitch McConnell maintains control of the Senate, it won't make any difference. Yes, it won't matter. Yeah. So, you know, by all means, criticize him once the Democrats have the power to do something. But up until then, you know, like focusing your anger on Joe Biden is misplaced. Should be focusing it on McConnell, frankly. Yeah. And I mean, that's and, kind and of where I'm, I am I'm getting right that now. son of a bitch out by voting for Democrats in Georgia. Just do it. 100%. Donate money to the Democrats in Georgia. Do whatever you can. What you Phone can. bank. Whatever you can do. Really quick before we go, what do you think about this crazy idea that the left keeps on trying to push about um, not seating these 104 uh, GOP House members that voted or that that joined in on this litigation in Texas? Just Pelosi not seating them because that's a seditious act. I mean, I mean, it, frankly, it's a perfectly morally justified one and an act of patriotism as far as I'm concerned. Um, the the bigger question that's more cynical is, is it smart political strategy? And probably not. I mean, Joe Biden needs to heal this country. We need to move past Trump, right? And that means we need to give people a chance to escape the cult. Uh, I think that actions that are further radicalize his cult might not be wise, even if they would be totally justified morally. So yeah, th- I'm kind of agnostic about it. That would set off the civil on war. On the one hand, like- I think, I'm on the one hand, I think, it's justified, but on the other hand, I think she probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I feel like I know that the GOP would do it without a. Oh, absolutely, a doubt. they would. But yeah, but it, you know, two wrongs don't make a right, as they say. Um, and and when one party starts cheating, and the other party says, "Well, they're cheating anyway, so we might as well cheat too." Not that this is cheating, of course. In this case, I think that that is justified and fine. Um, but there are people who are calling for like, you know, the, the Democrats should basically do their own seditious acts or whatever. And, uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's good. I think that, I think we need to bring the, bring the country together and heal the divisions. Don't get me wrong. I am not one of those people who's like, just, Oh, the poor Trump voters, they don't know what they're doing. You know, they, they, they just need a nice hug. Like I'm, I'm not like that at all. I really, really dis dislike these people like to the point where like i mean they they destroyed my party like i fucking hate yeah. them you know so yeah. don't, I, that's not where i'm coming from but i i'm just saying like as much as we might want to punish them for it we have to ask ourselves if that's the smartest way to solve the problem in this country or if it's just going to make it worse i think you and i both agree we both agree all right is it going to be you or me who says it today you should say it All right. Uh, Well, this has been the Moving Forward podcast. I have been uh, so happy to join along again. And uh, Andrew Yang is and forever will be my gumbo. (laughs) Yes. Andrew Yang is our taco and Moving Forward is our gumbo. Oh, yeah. Hey, really quick before I go out, can I plug something? Uh Um, I am going to be planning on doing a Twitch stream charity fundraising, hopefully uh, for the Humanity Forward Fund. Uh, There are a lot of people who are in need this Christmas. But hopefully I can maybe make some uh, monetary goals that can, you know, boost uh, some charity donations towards the humanity first. I'm sorry, the humanity forward movement and and maybe help out some people in need this Christmas season. So if you might be interested in that, um, be sure to check out my Twitter account. I'll be updating with my my Twitch account. It's going to be Divi the Wise, D-I-V-I-T-H-E. 
uh, W-I-S-E, no spaces or anything like that. We're going to be playing some uh, Dark Souls games, Bloodborne games, uh, things of that nature. I might try and just start doing that there because I'm so tired of sitting around and not knowing what I can do uh, to help people. And this seems to be something that might be in my capacity. So if you're interested in that, be sure to check it out. Um, Thanks so much for the platform, Rio. Of course. Thanks for coming on, Seth. And uh, I'm sorry you're feeling down, but I I think this was actually a very cathartic conversation. I'm glad we, we, we had it. Good, good. Cheers. Hopefully so. Cheers, man. Hey, it's Seth, host of The Dividend Report. I'd like to thank Rio for the conversation today. More importantly, I'd like to thank you, the awesome Moving Forward community. These conversations are hard. If you share my hope that discussions like these can happen more frequently, support the Moving Forward podcast at movingforwardpod.com. Look after yourselves and your mental health. Things are going to get better. I'll catch you all soon.